Welcome to the Bayside Sermon Series podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Duckworth. This week, Pastor Dave and Pastor Ken join us as we discuss chapter 6, as well as do a recap of the first six chapters in the sermon series of Daniel. So today we're talking about Daniel chapter 6. There were two main lessons from the sermon. One, that godly character won't go unnoticed. And two, backbone comes from being in the habit of spending time with God. And our, our bottom line, our, our big theme for the sermon was that God rewards uncompromising devotion. Now in Daniel chapter 6, we have another new king. This is Darius. And very quickly, Daniel is recognized as an asset to the king and is made one of the three high officials in the kingdom. Like Joseph, Daniel is being placed in a position of high authority. Daniel is not doing anything extraordinary. He's just doing his best to honor God in all that he does. To our first lesson, for good and for bad, the godly character of Daniel is going unnoticed. The other officials and and satraps uh, that's the, the the people that the king has put into power to manage the kingdom. Uh, they want to get rid of him, and the king wants to promote him. So that's the, both the good and the bad of God's character being noticed in Daniel. So, Pastor Dave, why do people not like him? Well, I think, for one thing, they don't like him because he's a Jew. Uh, this continually comes up in the early chapters of Daniel where uh, you know, when the Hebrews get into trouble, uh, their accusers draw attention to the fact that they are these exiles from Judah. And um, they don't like foreigners, particularly foreigners who take their job away from them. So Daniel is being viewed by King Darius as such an incredible asset that he's essentially going to make him in charge of the whole kingdom under Darius himself, which means all of the other high officials and satraps will have to report to him. And because it says that there was an extraordinary spirit in Daniel, it likely means that he was a man of utter integrity that didn't that was noticed by the king. Um, that Daniel would have been sure to play by the rules to make sure that all the tax revenue that the king was due was actually going to the king and wasn't being siphoned off a little here, a little there by the satraps and the high officials. Uh, that kind of practice was well known in ancient times as a way of of minor officials enriching themselves at the at the expense of the king, and the king didn't particularly pay much notice as long as he was getting plenty of tax revenue being brought in. Um, and and so a lot of these uh, guys are probably looking at Daniel and saying, "We don't want him in charge. He's he's going to he's going to make us play by the rules. The gravy train is going to stop." And and um, so for a variety of reasons, uh, his Jewishness and the fact that he is a man of integrity. Uh, make him, in their minds, not a desirable boss. Hmm. So if we flip this a little bit, uh, could they also be upset that God, that Daniel's God is blessing him and their their gods are not blessing them, that you know, what their pagan deities are, are not helping to promote them? Could be. Uh, you know, I mean, everywhere Daniel went, it was noticed that, that uh, he had this extraordinary relationship with the God of Israel. And, um, 
you know, it's it's often attributed throughout the book of Daniel that when Daniel or his friends receive promotions, when they're protected, it's because of the favor of their God uh, being on them. Uh, yeah, so there could be some some resentment there. I know a lot of professing Christians that would be upset if they were in a similar situation that when our God, our, our, our most holy God, decides in his infinite wisdom to bless someone else, even if they're not a believer, um, they get even more upset when you remind them that Jesus told the people that God sends rain on the just and the unjust. Yeah, in this case, it's uh, God sending lots and lots of rain on the just. And mm-hmm. and the unjust are looking at that and saying, uh, hey, we want some of that rain for ourselves. Yeah. So they set a trap for Daniel. They know Daniel's daily routine and his devotion to God, and they see that as a weakness, and they go to exploit it. Yeah, they see it as an opportunity to exploit it because they know that's some, something that Daniel won't deviate from. Um, they, they can't bring any accusation against him with respect to his performance on the job. It's been utterly impeccable and uh, no, no corruption, no incompetence. So they finally conclude, hey, if we're going to get anything on him, it's going to have to be with respect to his God. And yeah, then they come up with this plot to flatter Darius and convince him that he should issue an edict that nobody should pray to anyone else but him for a period of 30 days. And they sell it to Darius on the premise that we're all in agreement. All your high officials are in agreement. When obviously Daniel wasn't consulted on this because Daniel never would have agreed to such a thing. Darius goes along with it and makes this decree, a decree of the Medes and Persians that can't be revoked, and the trap is set. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the ways that we should be living so that we can bring attention to God. Godly character versus a Christian caricature. Uh, We're familiar with seeing boardwalk artists painting caricatures. They take one physical feature and blow it out of proportion against the rest of the body. Uh, it makes something stand out in an awkward way. If this is how we express our faith, it brings attention to us and not to God. And if we apply this idea to how we express our faith, can we be surprised when people turn away? January 6th is a prime example of this. There's Jesus banners all over the place and, and anarchy uh, at the Capitol. But our best example for living out godly character was, of course, Jesus, meek and lowly. He loved everyone, not just the people that were easy to love, treating everyone with dignity because they were made in the image of God. Uh, I had found a R.C. Sproul uh, quote that Christians have nothing to be smug about. We are not righteous people trying to correct the unrighteous. But he then quotes an anonymous preacher that evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And in verse 10, Daniel knowingly disobeyed the injunction because it went against the law of Moses. Something, again, that we saw back in chapter 3 with Pastor Ken, if you would say those lovely names in the Hebrew again of Daniel's friends. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's correct. Just checking. (laughs) Um, And in in chapter 3, they were young men, and they were glad to say to Nebuchadnezzar why they weren't going to bow down. But Daniel is 80 years old at this point. Do you think he just said, eh, I've been here long enough. If God wants to take me, I'm ready. Is he, he, doesn't make a, he doesn't make a statement to the king that we're aware of. He just does his thing. 
Yeah, and I think that's the right way to do it. I, th- I think, you know, Daniel's not putting on airs. He's not being phony. Uh, you talked about the difference between character and caricature. Um, yeah, another way to think about it is the difference between genuine character and reputation. Daniel's not concerned about his reputation. He's he's concerned about building godly character. And godly character comes from uh, being regularly in the presence of God. Um Daniel, Daniel's not going to deviate from that. And, and I think that if any, if we're going to get in trouble for anything as believers, let's get in trouble for that. Let's not get in trouble for, you know, being jerks yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, doing, doing things to um, point at the faults of others. Uh, I think if we're going to get in trouble for anything, let's get in trouble for being consistent in our walk with God. Now that's, that's going to get us in trouble. Um, I mean, just think of how, as Christians, uh, out of devotion to the Lord, we take certain moral stands about things like uh, marriage and abortion and things like that that go very much against the the the, uh, the current of our culture. There, there are two ways that you could upset unbelievers about that. One is by by being very vocal in in expressing hate toward gay people I don't I don't see in scripture where we're told to do that and and in that case you know you you begin to look like the kind of caricatures that you're talking about people who profess to follow Jesus but are very hateful kind of people on the other hand you know we have to take a stand morally yeah and and so uh, you know we 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 can't go along with the the culture that says, well, all this stuff is good. You know, it's, it's anything goes and and we're, we're happy with all of that and we support it and we bless it. We can't do that. Um, And so merely by taking a stand and saying, even if we're not expressing hate, merely by taking a stand and saying, uh, you know, our conviction is that those things don't please God. Uh, Those things are immoral. That it's that in itself is going to get you into trouble, and I think that's what's happening with Daniel here. He's not he's not being going out of his way to demonstrate defiance of the king, or you know he's not holding up protest signs or mm-hmm. or shouting at anybody. He's just being consistent in living his convictions as a man of God, and people hate him for it. As I said in the sermon, you know, there's that old Mark Twain quote: "There's nothing so difficult to live with as the annoyance of a good example." And, and that's what Daniel is here. He's he's a he's a twang on their conscience because he's just a good man, and and uh, they resent him for it. Yeah, it's like that sibling that that never got in trouble for anything they did, and you're the one who always got caught. Yeah. What's cool is Daniel is what around eighty two. Yep. At this point, and you, if you go back to chapter one, you see um, you see that that kind of conviction, um, even as when he was a teenager, 15, 16, when he went through, you know, his three years of training toward the beginning of that in their Babylon, Babylon, U, <laughs> the university there, you know, one of the things that's so cool is you see, um, Daniel and his friends not conforming to the world, but they are very intentional with living wisely. And I think what you see in chapter six is the fruit of all those years of doing that. Right. Right. So, so there's, there've been, you know, 60 years or or more since that time that Daniel and his friends apparently just 
kept consistent in following the law of their God and and uh, and uh, walking uh, in, in relationship with Him. And so now at eighty-two, uh, I don't think I don't think Daniel's throwing up his hands saying, "Hey, I had a good run. I'm ready to go." I think I think Daniel's just being Daniel. I think Daniel's just being uh, the godly man that that. Uh, you know, all that has kind of built into his character over all those years of of obedience to the law and, and meeting with God on a regular basis. So let's talk about the king. Um, maybe somebody should have told Darius that uh, sleepless nights is a normal thing for the kings of Babylon because he, he has a really rough night. He feels guilty maybe a little bit for the sentence that he's proclaimed for Daniel, not just for the monetary value that he's going to gain from that, but there seems to be uh, a deeper concern. Yeah, I think there's a genuine affection for Daniel. Um, you know, it's interesting that Daniel rose to power so quickly in a new regime, but I imagine that when Darius took over, he probably pretty quickly heard about this old man who pronounced judgment on the previous king and the handwriting on the wall and uh, the impact that that had the night that the invasion took place. So Darius, right off the bat, never saw Daniel as a threat, apparently. He saw him as an asset and began to draw on his expertise, his long history of, of serving uh, Babylon. And, um, uh, you know, obviously he, he saw an excellence in Daniel, that excellent spirit it talks about earlier in the chapter. He saw the amazing job performance of Daniel. He's ready to promote him to make him essentially number two in the kingdom. Uh, over all the other high officials, and I think that Darius, you know, when he when he learns that Daniel is now being accused of this, I think he sees through the 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 ploy of Daniel's accusers and realizes not just Daniel's been trapped, but he's been trapped. He's he's being forced to do something he doesn't want to do. Here's this guy he wants to promote, and he's being forced to condemn him to death. And so it says, you know, that he, he worked hard through the whole day trying to find a way to get out of this. I think he was checking with lawyers and, and all kinds of legal experts to see if there was some way that he could get Daniel out of the lion's den. But uh, he, was, he was trapped. Um, so, yeah, he's, he spends a sleepless night because he's, he's, he's not wanting to see Daniel torn to shreds by lions. He wants Daniel to survive. He expresses that when he puts Daniel in the lion's den. And then at break of day, first light, he runs back to the lion's den to see if by some chance Daniel's God has delivered him and is obviously very relieved to find out that God has. Now you mentioned that the king tried to find a way around it. It's not mentioned there as we close the chapter, if he ever did, no, he didn't. He didn't find a way out because he gets he has to throw Daniel in the lion's den. Um, but I think you know by the by the morning it's clear that either the lions will have done their job or they won't. Right. So he's fulfilled his obligation by putting Daniel in the lion's den. Now he can release him um, because the lions haven't touched him. But then what does he do? He turns around and takes all of Daniel's accusers and throws them and their families in the lion's den, which makes it very clear that the king is angry at them for what they tried to do. In, in accusing Daniel this way. But the other thing that's amazing is, is uh, he, you know, Darius issues this decree that the whole kingdom has to acknowledge the greatness of Daniel's God, that he's, he's the God who delivers. 
And, you know, that's reminiscent of Nebuchadnezzar's decree back in chapter 4, when Nebuchadnezzar did something very similar. So one of the themes that you see running through Daniel here is uh, not just how God preserves his people, but how he bears witness even to the mightiest kings of the earth uh, as to his supremacy and his glory. Now, this series at this point wasn't going to cover any of the, the prophecies or anything, but we do know that from history that God is using these, these kingdoms. You know, Alexander the Great comes next to, to rule, and then Rome takes over. And there are advances that God is using through all these overturns in history to create that, that path for Christ. The big things they do unify is the Greeks enforce a unified language throughout and then of course Rome builds roads so those two things set up the success of the gospel uh, to go from Jerusalem to Judea and then to the utter ends of the earth mm-hmm. yeah about 400 years later mm-hmm. yeah we'll actually be coming to that after the new year we're coming back to Daniel and finishing the, the last chapters in a new series where he call undefeated so this was unshaken it, it has to do with you know the hebrew captives uh living under a foreign regime and undefeated is going to be looking at um, the ultimate uh, victory of god's people under god's sovereign rule over the nations yeah yeah all right so at this point we're going to shift away from talking about chapter six and we're just going to do a general recap of the entire book of, of Daniel that we've covered so far, so the first six chapters. Uh, but before we get into where Daniel is, I want to step back into a little bit of context of the Jewish history that set this up. We've talked about it a little bit. We've touched on it here and there. There's, a, I think, a really great example that Daniel had in King Josiah. King Josiah was the king in Jerusalem just a few years before Babylon came in, Nebuchadnezzar came in and and conquered. Josiah brought in a great revival, and under under Josiah, he got rid of all the idols, all the pagans that the, the Jews had set up throughout the kingdom, and he went to set repairs to the temple, and he found the books of the law. So this seemed to have solidified the king's decision to follow God. In the process, he had a prophetess come in and help uh, explain what was going on. And in 2 Chronicles 34, 24, uh, here is the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am bringing evil on this place and on its inhabitants, even all the curses within the book which they have read in the presence of the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and have burnt incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place, and it shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you will say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel regarding the words with which you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God, when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and because you humbled yourself before me, tore your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you and your to your fathers, and you shall be gathered 
to your grave in peace, so your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place and on its inhabitants. Josiah has a decision to make at this point, I think. He can be destroyed by this and just fall on his face because he knows destruction is coming. You know, he has the choice to continue his dedication to the Lord or just to give up. And he chooses that in the face of all this adversity to know it is certain from the Lord that his repairs to the temple, all he's done to wipe the idols from this place, it's all going to be destroyed. And so he doesn't give up. He goes and continues and even does more to be pleasing to God and to set the people on the path that they should be. And, and that is the example that Daniel is seeing as they go into captivity. And for us, this is a reminder that even if America does turn towards God again, if, if we get, a, get away from um, all these things that the Bible says are bad, the, the LGBTQ issues that we're not dealing with very well, the, the, the corruption, the, 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 the sins of the people, even if we do all those things, it doesn't guarantee that God will preserve this country. He doesn't promise us that this nation will, will be here forever. Uh, so I'd like to, to draw that parallel to uh, what the young adults in this country are seeing and doing. The societal norms that we've seen over the last 70 years are breaking down, uh, and they're left to figure out what's next. This is why we need programs like Treehouse and our youth things that we do here as safe places for them to come and get to know who God really is, to have the chance to express their fears and joys in life among other God-fearing people. So as Bayside prepares for a world with an unrealized future, can we share a little bit of how we're preparing to lead and to serve in our community to these needs? I mean, one thing I would say to that is, you know, I mean, just simply is um, continued commitment to be preaching the gospel. I know that sounds like a pat answer, but when you look at Daniel and his fr his three friends, especially as, you know, when you open up the book of Daniel, you can't help but ask the question, um, what about these guys sets them apart? Why are these teenagers... Um, so faithful. And, you know, Marcus, you had mentioned um, King Josiah's um, rediscovering the, the law, um, their, you know, Old Testament scripture and, and making a commitment uh, to that. So, um, so that is one of the things that you see is it was the fact, uh, it was likely the fact that Daniel and his three friends um, grew up in a context where the word of God was proclaimed um, and then I think the other thing is, uh, you see the importance of, uh, leading families, uh, you know, leading parents, um, discipling parents well so that they could in turn disciple their children. Because the other thing that so scholars will sometimes say is they'll look at even the names of Daniel and his three friends, right? So Daniel means God is my judge, uh, Hananiah, you have the... Uh, Yahweh in there means Yahweh has been gracious. Um, Mishael, who is what God is. And then um, Azariah, um, which uh, is Yahweh has helped. So you look at that and he's like, well, clearly 
um, their their parents who gave them those names had a deep reverence for God. Um, so uh, at, in its most basic level, I think one of the things that we will always be intentional about is prioritizing uh, the scripture um, as a source of authority for uh, all of life and faith, um, proclaiming Jesus, um, but also being very intentional with how we disciple families um, from parents on down. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that's really important is that there's kind of this sub-theme throughout the first six chapters of Daniel of living with an alternative identity, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar is trying to force an identity on these guys by giving them Babylonian names, um, names that align with, you know, Babylonian gods, not the God of Israel. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Belshazzar, all those names are pointing to uh, allegiance to Babylonian gods, and that's kind of what's being pushed on them. Uh, learn the Babylonian language, learn the Babylonian ways, learn about the Babylonian gods. And yet, in the midst of all of it, uh, they're able to say, that's not who we are. Uh, we're we're going to cooperate, we're going to serve you to the best of our ability, but we will always maintain our identity as, as followers of Yahweh. And uh, that's clear, you know, chapter one, when they when they refuse to eat the king's uh, diet and, uh, you know, they're, they're eating kosher instead. That's part of their identity. And that's what we have to help our young people to do. Um, the world these days is going to push mightily hard on them to adopt the identity that the world wants them to take, uh, to, to conform to the patterns of this world, to think like the world thinks, to... Uh, agree with what the world agrees with, to value what the world values. And, and we've got to teach our children from, from the cradle until they leave our home. Can you imagine Daniel's uh, and, and the three friends' parents watching their sons being taken off into captivity in Babylon? It's kind of like sending a kid off to university, <laughs> a secular university today. Mm -hmm. Are they going to lose their faith? Are they, are they going to conform to this world? Or are they going to stand firm uh, in what we've taught them? And uh, in the case of these four young Hebrew men, they, they did so in a very powerful way that ended up bearing testimony to the mightiest kings of the earth of, of the power of their God. Uh, that, that, you know, try as you might, you can't make me um, conform to what you want me to be. I will always be a follower of Yahweh, and I will serve him and, and, and the other thing they're showing them is, hey, you let me serve my God, it's going to be good for you uh, because his blessing is on me and it's, and it's going to be good for you, my boss, if uh, you let me uh, maintain this identity. Um, and, and so I think that's, that's the kind of thing that we want to show to the world, not that we're angry Christians, but that we're people that God has blessed and, and we're people who who, you know, want our employers to prosper. We want our country to prosper. We want our neighbors to prosper. Uh, and our presence in their midst is a blessing, uh, not a curse to them. Uh, and certainly Nebuchadnezzar found that out in a big way. And then Darius found that out in a big way. Too bad uh, Belshazzar didn't live long enough to figure that out. So as we go uh, through the, the recap here, <laughs> chapter 2 Pastor Ken, that was your week, right? Yep. What was some of the big takeaways for that that week? So in, in chapter two, you uh, you know that was the whole that was really the the, the big first stream that 
Um, you see Nebuchadnezzar um, getting and, and being really, really afraid of. Um, and, you know, he calls all of, uh, all of his advisors around him. They, they can't interpret the dream because really what he's asking is, is impossible. He wants somebody to not only um, interpret the dream, but before they even offer an interpretation, he wants them to uh, be the ones to tell him even the contents of what he dreamed. None of them are able to do that. So he issues that. All right, well, you guys are all going to die. And then Daniel catches wind of it. Um, and he offers to, you know, I'm going to give me some time and we're going to, we're going to pray about this. And, uh, so the whole idea there is, you know, when, um, when you're close to God, you know, the, those who are close to God rise up in faith as opposed to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, you know, when, um, circumstances came crashing down around him, you see him just kind of falling in fear. Um, and then how, what that faith looked like, you know, it looked like prayer. It looked like, um, being able to just rest in God's presence. Uh, it looked like, like praise and worship, uh, worshiping God for who he is. Um, so, so you see this, this theme all throughout, um, the, uh, chapter two, um, where, uh, again, Daniel just interprets this, this, uh, this dream for the, the, the big statue and, and ultimately pointing toward, uh, the stone that, you know, was cut out, not from any human hands. So no, no human origin. Um, and it, it grows and grows until it takes up the whole world. And obviously that, um, we see that with, uh, during this season, you know, with the birth of Christ and bring ushering in, uh, the, the beginning of, of that kingdom. And then chapter three was Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace. Again, we're talking about godly character shining through. And that, that has really been the theme throughout this first six chapters is, shining through with the godly character in any situation. Uh, were there any other parts of chapter 3 that you wanted to bring back up, Pastor Dave? Yeah, I mean, chapter 3 is another example of that thing that we were talking about earlier, of the alternative identity. Yeah. So Nebuchadnezzar says, here's an image I've made. I want you all to worship it when I play the music. The music plays, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow down. Um, and what they're doing there is they're, saying, well, that's not who we are. We can't do that. Um, not that they're re rebels against the king. They're, they're part of the king's administration. They're serving the king well. Um, and the king gets enraged because they won't conform. They won't, they won't you know, do what the king wants them to do. Uh, so they're thrown into the fiery furnace. That's the penalty for failing to bow down. But then there's another in the fire. And, and Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, we, we threw three in there. Where's that fourth guy? Looks like one of the sons of the gods. And it's clear that, um, you know, God was with them in the midst of that trial. Uh, not that that's a promise to us that God will always get us out of the fire. It's a promise rather that whatever fire we have to walk through, um, as a matter of our connection to him, uh, he'll be with us. Right. Uh, and, and so... Um, yeah, I think I think it's just, it's the same theme, just poking up in a different way. Uh, first, they wouldn't eat the king's food. Next, they won't bow down to the king's image, and uh, all that because no, that's not who they are. They they understand that they're they're not going to let themselves be conformed to the pattern of, of this world. They're not going to uh, march to the orders of uh, of a pagan king if it violates the laws of their god, and so they they take a stand for the Lord and, you know, seemingly pay the price, but then are delivered and, 
And again, this is one of those moments when Nebuchadnezzar is, is blown away. These guys don't even have a whiff of smoke on them. Uh, and and he, he issues another one of his famous edicts that, you know, we should honor the God of, of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who delivered them from the fiery furnace. Um, over and over again, you see the kings of the earth having to acknowledge the supremacy of the God of Israel. And, and, and what forces their hand is the faithfulness of God's people in maintaining their alternative identity as his followers, not, not uh, as those who are conformed to the world. Kind of brings to mind that what God is doing there in exile uh, was something that he allowed to not happen during the time of, the, of many of the bad kings in the northern kingdom, especially that God was allowing horrible king after horrible king and, and they were being conquered and taken away. And, but God was still there. And there's always a remnant. And always a remnant. And, yep. he, and he showed up in a big way in a lot of things. Yep. And so it kind of goes back to that second point for chapter 6, is that they had this backbone. And the way for us, again, today, we have to develop that backbone by being in the habit of spending time with God. That, that was how they were able to stand up and say, no, I'm not doing those things is because of their faith and understanding and who God was and their assurance that he, they were going to be delivered one way or the other. And I think, you know, back to the earlier point, you know, that those habits of heart were established early. Yeah. Right. So they, they grew up in a time of revival. They grew up with godly parents. Uh, so they'd be kind of the equivalent today of going to a vibrant church and having parents who, who really, um, uh, you know, train you up in the in the tra- training and instruction of the Lord, as as Paul exhorts parents to do in Ephesians, uh, and and then they go off to university, <laughs> and they don't lose their faith. You know, they they stand strong. Uh, they go into the workplace, and they face intense pressures there. They don't lose their faith. Uh, you see in Daniel chapter six why Daniel's able to maintain that eighty two years. Of age, it's that he's still, after all these years, probably going back to those habits that were taught to him as a, as a, a boy back in Israel, uh, spending uh, three times a day in prayer to the Lord. Uh, so I, I think, to me, what that says is, as parents, man, we want to invest in our children uh, from their earliest years uh, in helping them to develop that kind of walk with God. Uh, that's what's going to stand them in in. In, in you know the best opportunity uh, for their faith to survive uh, into university and into the workplace and into old age. Again, a lot of this the same thing that you see throughout um, all of Daniel is that you know God reigns um, and He sets up kings, He sets up who He wills, and He orchestrates all of history for His good purposes. Um, and obviously, what's unique about Chapter Four was. Uh, the reality that this is the only chapter in the Bible that was written by, um, you know, a pagan king, um, and it could be um, argued um, that it's even Nebuchadnezzar's conversion story. Um, how you know he was so prideful and puffed up, and, and God humbles him, um, and you know ultimately he ends up. That's the final story that we have of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, and uh, ultimately he ends up. Um, again, praising and worshiping God with a beautiful doxology at the end of 
at the end of that uh, fourth chapter, um, which goes to show just how how much a godly, faithful follower of Christ uh, can really uh, impact um, those around him or her, uh, including those over him or her, you know, bosses, kings, leaders. And then chapter 5 is the flip side of that, right? So you've got, uh, in chapter 4, you've got a, a proud king who gets humbled and then repents and receives God's grace. In chapter 5, you have a proud king who doesn't repent. He, he uh, arrogantly and defiantly insults God by taking the vessels of the temple captured from Jerusalem and uses them in a drunken party. And as a result, um, uh, is, is judged by God. So, you know, the warning there that just as God is gracious to the humble, he, he will judge the proud and the arrogant. Uh, and, and that's the story of Belshazzar. So as we close out our time for right now with Daniel, our big takeaway is that godly character in our lives is shining light to those around us. That Jesus calls us to be salt and light. And the way that we do that is by being a, an example of godly character to those around us. And it's not easy. I think that's the other part of it. It's not easy. All these guys, uh, you know, faced really threatening circumstances. But God rewarded them uh, for their faithfulness. And, and part of the reward was, uh, you know, in, in bearing witness to some of those powerful men of the, of the time of the glory of their God to see that happen. Um, yeah, and then I think the other, the other main theme is just God's sovereignty over the nations. That, you, you know, you have these, these kings who imagine themselves to be all-powerful. Uh, when, in fact, they're nothing compared to the God of Israel. All right, that's going to do it this, this week for our podcast. Thank you for joining us. And next week, we discuss Advent. A son is given. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us for the Bayside Sermon Series podcast. Keep a lookout on the Bayside website for upcoming scheduled events here, including a night of worship on Saturday, December the 10th. Also, we have different service times for the Christmas season, starting on Friday, December the 23rd, the 24th, and then one service on Christmas Day. Again, have a look at the website to see which service you want to attend and to come together with us in worship of our Savior. Have a blessed week.